Go ahead and open up once again to 1 Peter uh, 3, 1 Peter chapter 3. We've been in this series of making friends. First Peter three. Anybody been making friends lately? I want to share just a quick testimony. Last, uh, it's not really a testimony; it's more like a failure. <clears throat> last week, uh, Friday after the last week, we talked about called to bless. Talked about sarcasm. You guys remember that? And uh, and and that not only should we not not be sarcastically tearing each other down. Ah, there we go. Not only should we not be sarcastically tearing each other down, but we should also be intentionally blessing and blessing each other with our words. So the next day after I spoke that message, <clears throat> uh, I was hanging out uh, with Ashley, my wife, and uh, I'm going to bear my heart with you, so don't like point fingers and say you sinner, okay? Just don't do that. Uh, but we were... Uh, we were doing something. She 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 had something in her hand. Or sorry, I had something. I was supposed to give her the keys to her car because she was leaving our friend's house, the the Meisner's house. And uh, we were over at their place, over at their lake. Anybody been to the Meisner's place and been swimming and stuff? So we were over there doing that, and I was getting ready. To, she was leaving, and I had her keys, and so I went to throw them to her. And and <laughs> I can't believe I'm telling you this. And uh, she missed the keys. They they hit her hand and hit the ground. And I said, I sh- I knew I just should have brought them to you. And she goes, uh, she says, thank you. She goes, it was my left hand. I'm like, well, I would have been able to catch it with my left hand. And I said, <laughs> I said something like that, something really rude. And she goes, so is that is that blessing? Is that blessing or is that sarcasm? <laughs> and uh, so she caught me in the act of sinning, and she made sure I knew it. It was good. It was good. Wives and husbands can do that to each other. Well, wives can do that to the husbands, and so I'm thankful. Um, <laughs> But you know what the truth is is that we're all guilty of of making fun of people or um, sarcastically cutting somebody down and, and making us look better. It wasn't that big, but it still cut them down. It still hurt her, and it still offended her. Do you see what I'm saying? And so I just really challenge and encourage you to be careful what you're saying. Be careful what you're saying, and be careful what you're not saying. Don't just don't say anything mean, but be intentional about saying nice things, to put it lightly. Bless people with your words. Does that sound good? <clears throat> Tonight we're talking about making friends again. Uh, this is the fourth part of my series. I don't know if we're going to talk about it again next week. We'll see. It may end tonight, but it might just wrap it all up next week because then we're going to camp. First Peter chapter 3, verse 8. You guys there? You guys there? First Peter 3, verse 8. It says this, Finally, all of you be of one mind having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, and be humble. Don't return evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. In verse 8, when it says love as brothers, you could also translate it, love as brothers and sisters. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Love as a family. Jump over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to our Bible to see what God talks about friendship and relationships. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. 
I got my message translation. How many of you ever read from the message translation? Isn't it good, dude? It's legit. I read from it every once in a while. It helps sum up a little better. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse uh, 43. Verse 43. You can read along with me in your own translation, or you can just listen uh, to this translation because it's really good. It says this. You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend, and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. He says, I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with energies of prayer. For then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless the good and bad, the nasty and nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. Say that with me. Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. You are kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you tonight. And God, we thank you that you love us so very much. God, we're thankful that you love us. And God, we thank you that you're merciful and kind with us. God, we thank you that you didn't just sit up in heaven and wait for us to come to you. God, you got off your throne and you came to us. You came as a man and you bore our sin. Jesus, you bore our sin so that we could have eternal relationship with you. And God, because of that, we're eternally grateful. And God, if we're not, help us to see what you've done for us, God, that we would be eternally grateful. I thank you for your people. God, I thank you for your church. And God, I pray and ask you to help us, Lord. Help us to love one another. Help us to love each other as you have loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. My message title tonight is No Sex. No Sex. S-E-C-T-S. No Sex. Do we have the title up there? We have the title up there? No Sects. Some of you are confused. No sects. I'm going to say that a few more times. <laughs> Making friends, no sects. There are no sects, cults, cliques in God's kingdom. Right? There's no sects. When you go to your high school, you come across a lot of sects, don't you? <laughs> cliques, C-L-I-Q-U-E-S. You come across a lot of cliques, the preps and the jocks. Name, name another one. <laughs> the thugs. The emos. The geeks. 
You are what you say you are. The ninjas. The nerds. The ninjas. What school did you go to? <laughs> you don't usually see the ninjas, but apparently they're there. <laughs> well, brother, did you hear this kid? He says there's ninjas in his school. Matt was the president of the ninja club. Headbutting. Headbutting was there. What's your password? <laughs> you guys did it. I know. That's why I'm saying it. The problem with church, I guess, no, I shouldn't say that. The problem with churches in general, with God's church, one of our failures and faults as a church, one of our failures and faults as young people, is that though God never intended there to be sects and cults and cliques and their own special groups, we are very good at making our own little sects, aren't we? Though God never intended that, yet on the, on the other side, or on the flip side, He actually went against that. He actually intentionally came against that. By the time Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago, there were so many different sects and cults and groups, weren't there? The Sadducees and the Pharisees, just the, the normal Jews. <laughs> And then there were like the Samaritans. But Jesus comes and he establishes a kingdom that supersedes any background, any personality trait. Listen to me, this is important. Any background, any skin color, any ethnicity, any different pedigree, the way you talk or don't talk, whether or not you were smart or weren't smart. He came and he established a kingdom that superseded the, 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 what, what man sees on the outside. He superseded what a human being can see. And he established a kingdom where everybody would be one and that there would be one family and one body. But that doesn't happen very much. We don't really see that because a lot of times, most of the time, there's still sects. I came from a big family. Just my immediate family is pretty big. I have four brothers, and, and we had a pretty big family. And so growing up, it was really easy to just stay secluded to us. It was really easy to just us, four, us, five, and no more. And one of the things I've always respected about my parents is that they've always included and brought people and families and friends and other people. This recently, two weeks ago, I was in... Willow with my family, and I shook a hand with a guy who is currently, um, he's, he's, he's got one of those ankle bracelets on, and he's an ex-con, he's been in jail his whole life, and he's living with four prostitutes right now. Um, he's completely lost and broken and, and a complete sinner, and I was able to shake hands with this guy and talk with him and get to know him a little bit. And people like that my whole life have always been around, those type of people. And I've always, I've always appreciated that. And, and since I've come into town and, and, and living in Anchorage and married into another family, it's interesting to see how there's so many, it's so easy, I'm, I'm stepping on some, I'm on some lines tonight, but I'm just going to say it. There's, it's so easy to see families kind of get too 
too close, not in the sense, not that you can't get too close, but that you don't include enough. You get too caught up in your last name and you forget about the purpose of your last name. You get too caught up in your last name and you forget about the purpose of who you are as a Christian. And I've been, I've been incredibly amazed with the family I've been married into, the Millars and, and even the Meisner family, who to me have, have, are always very open and including and accepting. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's just amazing. But what about this family? Like what about, what about us? What about, not just, not just those of you who are here, but I'm talking about just as a general you, are you in a clique? Or are you, do you live a life that supersedes a special group with its special name tag and its special agendas? Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Are you yourself, my, my question tonight for you is, are you caught up in your own little world, your own little friends, and you never go outside of that? John chapter 4. John chapter 4. I'm reading out the New Living Translation. Uh, Jesus is uh, going to a Samaritan woman. How many know the story? Very good story. Jesus is going to a Samaritan woman. We pick up here in verse 3. Uh, Jesus is heading from, uh, uh, from Judea to Galilee. And it's, it's, it's a good day. I think it's a three-day walk. And he, <clears throat> he chooses to go uh, through Samaria. The Bible says, verse 4, it says, He had to go through Samaria on the way. On the way, Jesus was going from Judea to Galilee. He says, it says that he had to go through Samaria. Now, if you actually understand this, if you actually study out and, and, and look into what was really happening, uh, Jesus did not have to go in the sense that if you're going from Anchorage and you're in a vehicle uh, to Talkeetna, that you have to go through Wasilla. We're all on the same page, is that right? You have to go through Wasilla, right? Right? But, I, but, but what, if, what if somebody who was going from Anchorage to Talkeetna went up through Valdez, created a new road, and went around to Fairbanks and back down to Talkeetna? That'd be weird. And Jesus does something similar to this. Nobody ever went through Samaria for a few reasons, one of them being that Jews didn't like Samaritans. They, they dealt with each other. They, they, did, they, they exchanged foods and goods and such. But they would never, they would never fellowship with them. And they wouldn't drink drinks with them. They wouldn't eat food with them. They would have no dealings with them because a long time ago they actually had a, a big fight. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees completely disagreed with the Samaritans who had a different view of what worship looked like. Does that make sense? And so the Jews, the Pharisees and Sadducees, completely disowned this Samaritan village. And Jesus, being a Jew, says that I have a need to go through Samaria. Now, naturally, it wouldn't, it wouldn't make sense for him to go through Samaria, Samaria but, but God was doing and showing us something different. The Bible says, and maybe in your translation, that he needed to go through Samaria. Jesus, you can say it this way, Jesus was so compelled to go out of the normal, traditional, religious way to go through Samaria to a people who were unreached and unloved and cast out. He, he went out of his way to approach another cult and another sect to establish something for us. Does this make sense? 
Jesus always went against religion, didn't he? He always went against, not, some of us don't fully understand that. He always went against uh, uh, the normal traditions that man had held higher than love and mercy. Jesus always went against those traditions that said that I must do A, B, and C to be a good person, even if, it, even if I have to hurt somebody else's heart. Jesus comes and, and he establishes a new way for us, a way that has never been seen, a way in a life that supersedes physical appearance or your own pedigree, your own background, your own upbringing, whether you're raised in the church or you weren't raised in the church, whether you're an athlete or you weren't an athlete, whether you were a male or whether you were a female, whether you were a slave or whether you were free, Jesus offers a new kingdom and establishes it and its motivation is an unconditional love. I love it. It says that he had to go through Samaria. I wonder what the disciples thought. Jesus, what are you doing? That doesn't even make sense. Why are you going through? But Jesus just, I have to go there. And actually it says that eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sakar near the uh, parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat warily beside the well about noontime. Yours probably says 6 o'clock, which is about their noon. Don't get into all that. But about noon, middle of the day, Jesus comes, tired, sits by the well. But it amazes me that he was tired. Because... He knew that when he went out of his way, it was not going to be easy. He knew there wasn't going to be refreshment to go on a longer walk. He knew that it was going to cost him. And too much in our life, we think that making friends and loving people is something that's natural and easy. Something that costs us nothing. Something that we should just naturally, oh, I'm just going to naturally fall into this relationship because I relate with this person. Jesus didn't naturally fall into the Samaritans. He went out of the normal way to go meet with the Samaritan. And actually, he knew that this Samaritan woman was coming because he was God and he knows all things. What if we live like that? What if we, even if it costs us, even if we get weary, even if it costs us to be tired, even if other people think we're bad people. You know, Jesus, one of the reasons why they killed Jesus was because he was a friend of sinners. Even if it costs us, are we willing to go out of our way to make friends with people that aren't normal to us? Just, just, just alone. Not that Jesus went out of his way from Jerusalem or from, from Judea to Galilee, but Jesus went out of his way from heaven to earth. See, what if Jesus would have sat in heaven and waited for us to come to him? Aren't you thankful that you didn't have to go out of your way to God, but God went out of his way for you? God, in essence, instead of just coming from heaven to earth, he went from heaven, he died, in essence, to hell so that he could have a personal relationship with us on earth. He didn't take this an easy way, did he? But he said, I'm going out of my way to make sure that they feel and that they know that they are my family, that they are my people. Sure, it's amazing, and, I'm, and I think it's fascinating that Jesus went from, from Judea to Samaria to Galilee. 
and, and it, I think it was an extra day's journey out of the way. But even more amazing is that he went from heaven to earth to hell. Dead, buried in the grave. Took the wrath, whether he went to hell or not, he took upon the sin of man. God, God disowned him and rejected him. That's hell to me and to all of us. And then he went back to heaven. He did a full circle for us. So, I mean, yeah, this is cool that he did this, but man, he did a lot more than that, didn't he? He was tired, so he sits at the well. It's probably cool. He's probably sitting in the shade waiting for this girl and waiting for an amazing encounter. We're not going to get to it tonight, but later on, we found out that this disciple, this lady who actually comes to know Jesus and, and probably is regenerated because she goes back, regenerated means born again, gets saved. She goes back to her country, preaches to all the Samaritans about Jesus, and they come up and meet him, and that whole place got turned upside down because Jesus went out of his way. Thankful that Jesus didn't. Because you know that, that, that actually later a church was actually established in Samaria. I'm glad that all those 11 disciples didn't just stay in Jerusalem, you know. But they actually got up and left because if they didn't, we wouldn't know Jesus today. But God led them out of their way. And all of them died. A persecuted death. Except John. But, I mean, he was only boiled in oil and survived, and then sent to an island by himself. But, I mean, whatever. Christianity is not reserving to your own special group that you can relate with. It's going out of your way, even if it costs you. Jesus says... To this girl in verse 7. Give me a drink. He says in my translation. It says please. Give me a drink. I think they did that. Because they didn't want to think Jesus was like mean. Give me a drink. You know. Because in the Greek. It doesn't actually say please. But they put that in there. So we would know that Jesus wasn't some mean guy. You know. Because some of you would think. That's how you can talk to your mom. And the devil's a liar. So I'm glad they put please in there. To help you. And me. So we don't talk, men don't talk to our wives. I'm preaching now. To our moms, to our grandmas, to the girl sitting next to you or in this service. Please is a good word. <clears throat> Told it in a different message, but. Please give me a drink. Jesus was doing something culturally, even, even in the Pharisees' eyes, morally wrong. Because in our culture, it's, it's one thing to ask to drink, for a drink from somebody, you know? Kind of. I mean, I'm not going to ask some stranger for a drink, personally. But, in, it, but especially in their culture, they didn't sit down and drink and share drink and food with one another unless they were part of the same family. Not just, not just the biological family, but the spiritual family. If, if they were part of the same sect and the same group and the same little cult, they would share drink. But if they didn't, if they weren't part of the same, they wouldn't share drink because when they share drink, they're saying, you're part of my family. 
Which was why Jesus was doing the worst thing possible for him to not only drink with a Samaritan, but he sat down and drank with sinners who weren't even born again or saved or children of Israel. Does this make sense? Jesus, Jesus asks this girl for a drink. You don't ask, you don't ask Samaritans for drink. And nonetheless, you don't ask Samaritan women for drink. Big no-no. And then she's thinking, if this guy even knew who I was, he wouldn't ask me for a drink. You don't ask them for a drink. But what Jesus was doing was he was establishing there are no sects or cliques in my kingdom. And I'm going to drink with you. And you're going to drink with me. Because my kingdom does not look on the outside, but it looks at the heart. My kingdom does not look at whether or not I relate with you. God didn't relate with us. We were broken and sinners, and he was holy. He set aside and set apart. There's none like God. He is the only one that is good. And he came and, and did everything he could to relate with us. It's not that you can't relate. It's that it costs you to relate with somebody. Making friends costs you something to relate with them. I, I, I'm just reminded of my friend Justin Day. Justin Day is an awesome example of this because Justin Day hangs out with people, even in this youth ministry, even in this, in this body, in this family, that he has no, no relation with. They, 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 have even, they have no common ground but love in Jesus. Some of you here today. And some of you, you do have some of the things to relate with him. But there's some of you who, who he spends time with junior hires and even high schoolers that he picks up, he takes them places, he loves them, he listens to them, he encourages them. Even when they come against him and are rude and make fun of him, he still does it over and over and over again. Is it because he, is it because, well, he's this anointed, he's an evangelist. Sure, you can say that and excuse yourself from doing that. Or you can say, no, he's applying what God did for him. He understands that God went out of his way for him and loved all people. And so should he. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's a good example for all of us to look at and say, I'm tired of being in my own little clique. There are no cliques in God's kingdom. Unfortunately, there are cliques in the churches in this world. And that's what I'm coming against tonight. And I'm doing everything. I want to do everything I can. I want you to partner with me to do everything we can to stop cliques. People shouldn't say we're clicky. They shouldn't say that about us. Right? Am I right? They shouldn't say that we're clicky. Man, last time I went to that youth ministry, when I went to Abbott Loop, I felt like I was their best friend. They asked me for a drink. You know what Jesus was doing when he asked her for a drink? He wasn't only saying, I want to share this with you. In essence, he was saying, I want to drink from your well. I want to drink from your life. I want to know you. She pours out her heart to him, and he actually tells her all about who she is and was. They didn't just drink water that day. I don't even know. The Bible doesn't even say they actually drank. 
But they shared life together, didn't they? She wasn't just some girl. She was a Samaritan. She was a woman. And she was an adulteress. She was not a good person. Jesus didn't care. He loved her. He said, I want to make sure that when the disciples come back, they know that my food is to do the will of him who sent me. What is that will? It's loving people, even if it costs you. Colossians 3.11 says, Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator with his label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. Words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious and irreligious, insider and outsider, uncivilized and uncouth, slave and free mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. The message translation. Didn't Jesus exemplify this? Always, continually. He doesn't go for the religious people. He goes to a beach and he calls out a bunch of gnarly fishermen with beards and nastiness. Have you ever spent time with fishing people? Have you ever been to Seward? Not the people. I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about the smell. When you pull in, you get out of your car, it doesn't smell like the natural. It smells like fish. You know what I'm saying? I'm not talking about the people. That's wrong. I'm talking about the the smell. You know what I'm saying? You testify with that. You you get out of the car, it smells like fish. You're camping. You're just breathing in. You feel like a fish when you leave. Okay. Well, I'm a better swimmer every time I leave there. It's amazing. But he calls fishermen. And then after he calls fishermen, he goes to a tax booth and he finds a tax collector named Matthew. You don't do that. That's worse. That's almost as bad as the Samaritan thing. That's worse, actually. When he spent time with Zacchaeus, the wee little man up in the tree, and he went to his house and he ate food with him, bad juju, bad no-no, don't do that. Don't spend time with tax collectors. Because everybody hated tax collectors. But he made one of his tax collectors a disciple that changed the world. Because he wanted to make sure that there were no sects. He didn't just pick 12 fishermen. He went to every different type of group. And he plucked them out. He said, this is my kingdom. Jesus, over and over and over again, exemplifies this. Do you know where, you know Luke 15, the parable of the lost coin, the lost son, the lost sheep, you know, and the lost, the parable, the prodigal son, you remember those three? Do you know why Jesus told those stories? Jesus told those stories because people asked him why he spends time with sinners. That's why he told the story. Look it up. Look at Luke 15 and a little bit before that. What's before Luke 15? Luke 14. Look before that. Look, read, read the context of what's happening. Jesus is telling them why. This is why. What do all those stories say? In the lost coin, he did everything he could to find the coin. 
The lost sheep, he went completely out of his way. He left the 99 back at home, and he went and found that one. And the prodigal of the son, all of them show us that God goes out of his way for us. Jesus continually exemplifies this. That there, that there is... There is, it's not about insider or outsider, religious or irreligious, Jewish or non-Jewish, insider or outsider, uncivilized or uncouth, slave or free. These mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Jesus. He defines everyone as his family, as his brothers and sisters. He defines them. Everyone is included in Christ. But we still define people. And we still, we still get caught up in our own little cliques. Matthew chapter 5, we just read it. I want to look at it again. Sorry, here we go. Matthew 5, 43. And we go on to 47, I think it is. If you do all, if all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. Anybody can love their family. Right? I mean, anybody can relate. Hear me out. Anybody can relate with their own flesh and blood. Anybody can relate with those that are relatable to them. Anybody can do that. I like lo- I what he says. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. You're not run-of-the-mill sinners. You're children of God. You're sons and daughters of light. Amen? You are no longer sinners, but you're declared righteous. Sure, you carry a sinful nature and you have the power to conquer that, but you're not identified as sinners. You're identified as righteous and ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors do not sit and wait for people to come and for kingdoms to just just randomly be conquered. They go and conquer and establish things, don't they? They go out of their way to establish something that the messenger told them to establish. And for us, that's reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about that. Anybody, I love that, anybody can do that. Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. Anybody can love those who love them. Anybody can bless those who bless them. I hear it often, all the time. Wow, you look really good. Oh my gosh, you look so good too. I'm not saying that's wrong, but anybody, sinner or righteous, anybody can do that. You know what I mean? Christianity is going out of your way. Even if they persecute you, you still, man, that isn't easy, is it? I'm not, I'm not trying to say that this is easy. Like, guys, I do this all the time. I don't do this all the time. This is not easy. It is not natural. This is a supernatural work. So what does that mean? That means you need to spend time with a supernatural God. And allow him to work inside of you love. 
so that you can go out of your normal way and live a supernatural way. Supernatural way is not always walking on water. Supernatural way is sometimes going out of your way to relate with those that are not relatable. To love those and spend time and drink with them that you would not normally drink with. That's supernatural. We, we want to walk on water and multiply fishes and bread. But we're not doing the simple things out of simple faith, which is to go out of my way to love those that don't come out of their way to love me. I'm talking about living a life of including people. I'm talking about living a life where you include others that God in Christ has included you into his family. You see what I'm saying? I'm talking about when somebody new comes here that they feel like they're just as important as you are. How do you do that? It's intentional. It doesn't randomly happen. You have to be intentional about this. And this is not natural. It's not easy. You will get weary and tired. Not emotionally weary and tired, but it's not going to be a time where you just feel like, oh man, that was a piece of cake. You're going to look like a fool sometimes. They may make you look like a fool sometimes, but are you still willing to do it? See, you know what I was talking about earlier about simply believing God? Remember that? Remember that? When somebody persecutes you, and you have a, you have a, you feel like you have a need to defend yourself, or they, or they say you're this or that, and you feel like you have to defend yourself. The reason why we can't, uh, we can't receive persecution, the reason why we can't re- receive people coming against us and being rude to us, is because we haven't allowed God to be our defender. Because when we allow God to be our defender, it's easy to let people persecute you. It's easy to let people talk bad about you. Because you have no need to defend yourself. Because you've been defended by the defender of the universe. So no matter who or how they come against you, you can stand and still love them. Because you've been defended. And you have no need to defend. This is where you find security in Christ. As you're as the one who identifies you as his son and his daughter. You with me? Anybody can go love those that love them. Anybody can talk to those that look like them. Anybody can hang out with those people that play the same sport as them. Anybody can hang out with people that are in their family. Anybody. That's not hard. Do you think God would offer us some, a life that is natural to us? If that were the case, he would have never needed to come. He came and he offered something that was different than our nature because our nature was wrong. So God comes and lives inside of us to transform and make us a new creation, a new nature that we would yield to the Spirit of God that is in us. And when you yield to the Spirit of God in you, you shouldn't be stuck in your own clique. You should be going out of your way to love people that are not easily to relate with. If you've been, I said it last week, if you've been spending time with the same people for the past year, I'm not saying reject them. I'm saying you need to get out of your, out of your normal comfort zone and spend time and get to know people that you wouldn't normally get to know. Can I say this? I've said it a few times. I'm not naturally good at this either. This is a challenge for me. But I want to live that life. Even though it feels weird. Even though you feel awkward because you don't really know what to say. What, are you going to hide in a cave? (laughs) He's hiding in a cave. (laughs) 
You know, I mean, what, what else are you going to do? How, you, how, are you guaranteed to live tomorrow? No. So what are you doing today? We should be living the life of Christ. And that's definitely not doing what is natural. The Bible says, 1 Peter 3, 8 through 9, Love as brothers and sisters. You're brothers and sisters. But do you love each other as brothers and sisters? Think about your brother and sister. Something, something unique there, you know? There's something and that my brothers aren't all even believers, but there's something unique that I have with my brothers. I can't really fully you know, communicate what that is, but if you have brothers and sisters, siblings, there's just something unique there that you have for them. There's a, there's, a, there's, there's a simple love, there's a simple appreciation, there's a simple respect and honor, there's a simple uh, even feeling, compassion that you have for them. I hope so. And you, when your brother or sister walks in the house, it, it's not weird for you to talk to them. And God wants us to love each other as brothers and sisters, making sure that there's no exclusion, there's no isolation. You, you hear me? There's no isolation. Isolation is not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I hear people say, man, I'm going to make millions of dollars. I'm going to buy a cabin. I'm going to live in a lake for the rest of my remaining life by myself. Wow. Sounds like worse than hell. <laughs> people tell me this often. It's kind of funny. As if that's like the dream. And if that's you, I challenge you. Isolation is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Is it? Love. And love, love does not look on the outside. It sees each other as Christ sees them. Have you read 2 Corinthians chapter 5? I'm sure you have. If you haven't, you, can, you should read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 uh, establishes for us what the Christian life should, ought, it, it, what, what it ought to look like. Uh, ought is a good word because ought just is communicating what's reasonable. You know, that's a good word too. Um, it says, it, therefore from now on, we regard, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, Yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if, any was, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us this ministry of reconciliation. Now we, verse 20, are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We regard, we regard, we look at, we perceive no one anymore according to the flesh, but according to Christ and the new person that they are in Jesus. You with me? I'm hitting this hard, and, and I, my prayer, my real prayer, my real heart, my real desire, my real motivation 
is really that there would be no clicks in here. And I challenge you, if you're a leader, whether you're a leader in this ministry or you see yourself, I'm a natural leader. Well, are you as a leader going out of your way to, well, Gabriel, that's not my personality. Are you as a leader going out of your way to love, that's not my personality. I don't care what's your personality. There's a God who lives in you that should be expressing his personality through you, and that personality is going out of your way. It's not my personality. I tell you that I love being by myself. You may think that's weird, but I do. I appreciate it a lot. appreciate my alone time more than I do spending time with people. That's me. Now, am I going to say, well, that's not my personality. I'm going to leave that to the evangelists and trust that they're going to go out of their way and, and evangelize the Christians? Or should we not stop making excuses about our personalities and going out of our natural, ordinary, religious, traditional, traditional, traditional way? Go out of that traditional way that we would normally walk in and love somebody that we don't know. Talk to somebody that we wouldn't normally talk to. Can I have a drink? Why would you? I want to know you. But I'm a Samaritan, and you're, you're a Jew. That doesn't make, yeah, but I'm establishing a new kingdom. And this kingdom supersedes personalities, supersedes cliques and cults and sects. It supersedes backgrounds. It supersedes wisdom. It supersedes how, people, how much people know or don't know. It supersedes all of that. Amen? I want to, I really, I don't just want to come here and, and speak a message, and, and you kind of go, oh, that was tingly and stuff, <laughs> and then leave. You know, I don't, I really, I, you're wasting my time, and you're wasting your time. I really desire that there be no clicks in this youth ministry. Neither, neither junior higher, neither high schooler, neither college student, all are one in Christ. Let that be neither, neither new or old, leader or not leader. All are one in Christ. That's my real desire. Because when that becomes our culture, that everybody wants to be a part of God's family. Shouldn't they want to be a part of God's family? Shouldn't people look at it and long to be a part of it? You know what I mean? But they won't if we're clicky and culty, and secty. Let's made up those words. Would you stand with me? Let's stand.